Darling, the message of making a day, making a day into a graven image is, you know, like Sabbath days of doctrine. That's what this, you know, since we are a nation and part of mankind, they say man is an idol factory. We like making idols and graven images. And as technology and things have gone even further, we're worse than the previous generations. Whereas the previous generations did it in ignorance and would bow down the statues and everything. We're more or less given to making of graven images and statues and not studying the word of God and being preached and taught by men that are born again by, and having set up a proper church structure and following the plan of God for salvation. Uh, the, the, the verse that we're reading from the 40th chapter of Isaiah, the workman melted a graven image and the ghost misspread it over with gold and cast its silver chains. He that is so impoverished that he had no oblation chooseth a tree that will not rot. He seeketh unto him a cunning workman to prepare a graven image that shall not be moved. Have ye not known, have ye yet not heard, had it not been told you from the beginning, have ye not understood from the foundations of the earth? And what we need to look at is making of graven images and things into idols. And we need to be able to, as we study God's word and uh, proceed in this day and time, the, just like the children of Israel had to be taught to battle and to fight, God's people need to be taught to battle and fight in this day and age. That instruction comes through the studying of God's Word, through the doing of God's Word, through being born again, the new birth and regeneration, and growing in the grace and knowledge and understanding of Jesus Christ, walking by faith, a walk of faith. In that faith walk as it develops, we have to be more careful of our false teachers and preachers today than ever before. It was worse in the time. It was worse in the time of Noah, as they say, there were great men, men of renown in the earth. Those are the ones, usually with popularity and things as we have today, social media and great voices that influence us, we have a tendency to look up being a, a visual preacher. Men go by their sensual desires, their senses. They use their senses. If we have to get away from using our senses, we have to walk by faith. It has to be by the Word of God. It has to be Spirit-led. We have to grow in the grace and knowledge of understanding. And without that, we open up or we are open to great deception and doing of things and thinking that we're saved by God, but the very nature of the things we're doing, the, the, the people that we follow in our works, it betray us that we don't understand the Word of God, we don't understand what is going on, and we're failing to be fed by the Word of God. Now, you can't judge the church in its totality. Sometimes you may end up hearing the preacher preach a few sermons and some of their teachings or whatever, but that's hard because we really wasn't put here as judges or anything, uh, as judges of others, and says be careful in judgment or whatever. But sometimes, times the things you say and do, it can give me an ideal on you, and even though that may not be representative of what the church believes, I can say, well, it's safe not to be afraid of that person or that person is not walking in the fear of God or that person is under a false teacher or preacher or that person maybe is in rebellion or disobedience to the church teachings or whatever. That's why I don't want y'all going out getting on the subject such as the Sabbath day or Sunday worship and different 
religious matters that you're not capable of teaching them. Some of us are not teachers, and we have to be very careful of what we teach others. It says, be not many masters or be not many teachers, because once you start repeating and teaching somebody something, you're prescribing that that's what you believe and that's what they should believe, and your beliefs sometimes influence others and bring others to that to those wrong conclusions or whatever. I printed, printed an article here. Uh, that's sheer foolishness, sheer danger. It's, it shows that we're in a time of seducing spirits, a dangerous time. This is from a re-elected House of Representatives Congresswoman from Colorado. Her name is Lauren Bobert. And she says that church is supposed to direct the government and that the church should be leading the nation. And this is really from someone that doesn't have a very high IQ. I don't think nobody should really, you know, in just a personal opinion, being listening at her. But this is a very dangerous doctrine. This is doctrines of devils. This is things that if this nation were to go on the church leadership as they're doing, trying to prescribe through man now, that would be an antichrist, and that's another Jesus. That's This is not a Christian nation, even though it says it's a Christian nation. These people, their belief systems and all these things, they're totally wrong. So who's to say that your t- church is teaching right? Who's to say that who's to say that that person's church uh, your pastor is deleting. I have another article I have that I give y'all Saturday about a pastor that had resigned or whatever. What happens when you get into leadership, you following man, you didn't made that man your idol. That's your image. And that's what we have nowadays when we follow influential church leaders that has a big name, that has a big following or whatever. What happens when that pastor falls from grace? What happens when we find out that he's been teaching heresy, a doctrinal error? So who's to say which part of the state or what should we believe? Because now we can be persecuted because of our beliefs. That's why the Constitution, that's why when they formed it, they had a separation of church and state. If it unites church and state to this nation... It has become Babylon the Antichrist. It's already fallen from grace. It's already Babylon. But when you have your congregation, your, your members and people talking about the church leading and congregations and people leading, you're talking about a con- something that's Babylon. Only Jesus Christ can lead. Only the worldwide government of God. That means that this government has to pass away. So we can't found anything on the United States government if every government is corrupt. Corrupt? How can we say that our nation is the right nation? We have individual people in the nation that's following God. So you read this article and look at it, and like I said, it's a very dangerous thing, but this is arising, and it's arisen, and it's one of the false precepts that will arise at this day and time. Idolatry and spiritual fornication because that's why I say that's where we starting to get led spiritually wrong. See and that's the problem with the Sabbath day and the people not understanding the Sabbath. There were creations, two creations and man, man was the pinnacle of God's creation. Remember the six-day creation and man was the last thing that God made? And then it says after those six days of creation that God rested and He created the Sabbath day. That was a holy day. So that day, that rest of God was the other day. That was the spiritual rest. That's when He's going to make man complete. I was telling you last week that when it said he was making man in his image and his likeness or whatever, that sixth day of creation was a physical creation. Disobedience brought down the depravity of man. And I, I don't know if you listened at last week's lesson, those who listened at this week's lesson, in the chapter 5 of Genesis where it says, Adam and, Adam and Eve had another son. He, created, he had Seth. 
that He made in His own image and His own likeness. Uh, let me kind of... In chapter 5 of Genesis, it says, this is the book of generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made He him. Male and female created He them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. And Adam lived in 130 years and begat a son in his own image and after his likeness and called his name Seth. So here we see the depravity of man where he begetting children and man in his image and fallen man is not in the image of God. That's where 666 comes in. That's incomplete man. That's what we see here today. Depraved man. We see an oppressive man. We see a man that's an idolater who hadn't been made complete. Whereas that Sabbath day, that day of rest where the Spirit doeth the works, where Christ is working, that's the Spirit that continues to work we're complete in Christ. That's the new man. That's the spiritual man. That's the one that he had graven his laws upon the hearts of man. That's what the one he's given an understanding to us. That's one that we're not working to enter in. We enter into his rest where he's completing us spiritually. Let's look at... Uh, 1 Corinthians 10th chapter, the 12th through the 14th verse. And Paul was dealing with them about idolatry and demons and things coming up to that. And uh, because, like I said, even though the Corinthian church, had, it had all of the gifts working in the Corinthian church, but I think that's one of the churches that went out because they apostatized. It, it had too much going in or whatever. It didn't hold firm. So he's writing to these churches and Paul wrote back. He says, 10th chapter 12 through the 14th verse, he says, Therefore, let no one who thinks he stands firm, that is, who, who think they're immune to temptations, being overconfident and self-righteous, take care that he does not fall into sin and condemnation. That's what this nation is. That, that's what we have here. We have proud men. Arrogant man, angrydized man, hubric man. That, that's what we're looking at in this nation to the ones of us that have been born again and can actually see spiritually and physically what's going on and whom the light's being shed upon. But there are so many that are in darkness because Satan had blinded the mind of the world. He has blinded the mind of those that are deceived. The church has apostatized. They've left away from the standing. And that's what Paul was talking about in Thessalonians and throughout the, the Bible. And that's what Jesus was talking about when he was saying the false prophets of many antichrists come. And in the book of Revelations when he said he was going to rise up and fight against the church. Because the church has been infiltrated by all types of wickedness and evilness perpetrating itself as people of God. <coughs> so those of us that think we stand, we need to take heed lest we fall. He says, no temptation, regardless of its source, has overtaken or enticed you that is not common to human experience. In other words, Nothing. Don't think anything strange or that something has come up. All of these ways that we are being tempted or what, whatever source, and the source is demons now. It's spiritual demons. We're fighting a spiritual warfare. We're wrestling not a, against carnal, a flesh, a, a carnal man. You see what I'm saying? We're fighting against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's why I say the battle have moved into the spiritual. Even though the devil, the personification of evil, that Satan, has came down to the earth. He's been falling down the earth to where he possessed man, to where man has a tendency to try to bring you down. It's like crabs in a bear. Unconverted man can't get you to God. So that's the problem we have with preaching singing and all of these things that's not birthing of being a born again. That's why 
when Priscilla and Aquila heard Apollos preaching, what he's preaching was substance. It had substance to it, but something was lacking from Apollos, of himself. And that's when they took him to the side and asked about his baptism and repentance and unto Jesus Christ or whatever, and they preached more perfectly. They got a spiritual understanding to him as to what these things meant. So apparently he was filled with the Spirit and got, you know, born into the church because he was just baptized under to repentance. So having an eloquent speech and nice voice and all that does not mean a man is a man of God. Just because he could have human hominetics and he know how to put things together, somebody can sing a touching song or speak to you or whatever. They tried to use that same excuse on Jesus and says, good man. And Jesus looked at him and says, good man. He said, there's none good but God. Even though you may do something that has its source in God that's good, that doesn't mean that you're good. He told him, he says, no, there's none good but God. Let's get that straight. But God is faithful, he says. So there's nothing uh, that you, nothing common to human experience, nor is any temptation unusual or beyond human resistance. So he's not going to let anything come upon you that you can't resist in Christ. It says there's nothing that's beyond human existence, but that's why I say you require the supernatural. It takes the Spirit. It takes God who gives greater grace. In other words, you have to humble yourself. You can't stick your chest out and say, I'm Samson, I'm going to man this thing. through. I'm strong and I can overcome. Samson went out there to do that and he didn't know that the Spirit had departed from him. So sometimes we, leave, we, we, lose, we lose the Spirit or the Spirit leave away from us and we're not aware that we're not walking in God. A, a lot of times when the Spirit departs, if we have an ambitious spirit and a self-centered, we don't realize that that's not God talking. That's your personal. And that's what I was telling about what this Congress lady was saying or whatever. Those are her personal thoughts and opinions. Because you're saying that the church is going to run the world and the government and Jesus Christ says this world and government's going to come to an end that he has to destroy the world. So that means your church and your government that you re-up, Jesus Christ did say in Revelation that he was going to fight against the church and that the world, Babylon, was going to come to an end. He called his people out of Babylon. He didn't say we was going to convert the world and work, run the world and make the world a better place. I don't know where you get that. That's from a song, making the world a better place. But you're not, as he wouldn't have said, there's going to be a new heaven. you beyond repair. The heart's desperately wicked. Who can understand it? He didn't say it was repairable. He have to give you a new heart. So, but God is faithful to his word. He is compassionate and trustworthy. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability to resist. But along with the temptation he has in the past and is now and will always provide a way out as well. So that you will be able to endure it without yielding and without overcoming to the temptations with joy. In other words, you'll be like Paul and Silas in prison being beaten, beaten but not removed from prison. But you count it all joy to stand up from, for the Lord even though you're being persecuted or whatever. You realize internally that you're on the right side. Your spirit gives you peace and joy that man can't take away from you. Man's going to try to get you to alleviate, to tolerate a, a compromise with the suffering. Whereas Jesus Christ says, submit yourself unto God and he gives greater grace. If his strength is made perfect in our weakness. Uh, therefore, beloved, uh, Amplified reads it. Therefore, my beloved, run, keep far, away, far, far away from any sort of idolatry. And that includes loving anything more than God or participating in anything that leads to slaves to sin and enslaves the soul. Those people that we see now in the political scene or whatever, they're enslaved unto other men. 
those people that try to get out of that system, we see how it's coming apart. And those that were in that, you have to continue to believe in the lie and perform the lie because the leader of that lie, the guy that's leading that, he doesn't tolerate subordination. But that's why Satan's house, it falls because it's a house divided. Sometimes these women and men or whatever try to grow a conscience. They won't go as far. You, We know you're lying and we know all these are lying. We know the things that you are hiding. You might that's why when he calls them stupid and idiots or whatever that make these idols and bow down to them. You pretty crazy if you know something a lie and you still fighting fighting for that and standing for that and putting your children and your life and your every, your well being and everything on the line for a lie. That that's what disproves about the disciples they say Let's just say somebody paid and came, took the body away. These disciples and apostles, they wouldn't have went this far if they didn't actually believe what they were saying, believed in the resurrection and saw Jesus Christ or whatever. That's what I say. When you start to preach and teach others that that you believe, people will feel the authority and they will feel your commitment to it. But you have to be careful because these people actually believe these lies. That's what Thessalonians says. He's going to send such a strong delusion that you believe a lie. Because when you turn yourself over to an idol, that demon that's behind that idol, there's demons behind those idols. You become like that idol, you become worse than that idol. That's why the men that say they worship the ground this woman works on, walks on, are these women that are so crazy about this man they'll do anything for? Normally. That spouse, if he's abusive or this and that, that woman love him enough or whatever, he actually ends up killing her. She don't have no better sister to leave him or whatever. Why? Because you loved him more than God. These women that love a man, like talking about they worship the ground, they walk on or whatever. These women walk on them. A lot of them have adulterous affairs. They they don't stay home. They don't do the things that they're supposed to do or whatever. Because why? that idol ends up controlling you. These people that follow these false preachers and teachers or whatever, it's not, a lot of these preachers and teachers that pass the hand of, pass the offering around and say, well, we hadn't collected enough. We're going to pass it again. God said for y'all to buy me a jet. We got to buy me a jet. It's $120 million or $400 million. Just keep sending money to me to buy me this. And you, a lot of the people... There, it says the poor, the ones that don't have, you putting in your money or whatever, these people are living luxurious lives or whatever, you're the one without good sense. So those things, those kids that you rear up and worship and not that you're sparing the rod and doing all this thing contrary to the Bible, that child's going to grow up and spit in your face. He's going to talk about you. He's going to talk to you any kind of way. They're going to hurt you so hard with words and things that will cut you to your heart. That's because you idolize that kid. You place that kid before God. Anything that you place before God is an idol. You can make it into a graven image to where you worship what you see. See, people want to control God but you can't see God. God is invisible. God is a spirit. Those that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So it's not the truth that you're performing. You're not worshiping the true and living God because you have to worship Him in truth. God does not go along with the lie. So how can you be in a church and bow down with another man next to you in homosexuality and pray to God that says, that's an abomination. This passage appears in the midst of the epistle detailing the problems of a tumultuous congregation and the congregations are pulling this apart. And that's what's happening at the mega churches and a lot of churches today because uh, like you remember I told you within the crowd God always has the remnant. They're all in, in uh, any of these churches there are good people in all of these churches now. There are some good people. Now with the elect, you can make can fool some of them for a while, but you can't fool them all the time. Sooner or later, 
even a scared dog, if you beat him enough, he's going to leave home. If you don't feed him, if he's not eating right, if they're not getting the Word of God, they're going to look for it somewhere else. That's why it says you scattered the flock. Paul draws on the experience of Israel in the wilderness as his examples to us. He concludes by telling them, despite what manner what manner of sin each individual was involved in to turn their attention to overcoming idolatry. Whatever's going on in any of y'all's lives is because you set up an idol there. Is it the television? That might have become your idol. You may be watching it too much or something on there that has become your cross, that there's something that you bear... That, that's your weight of sin that's besetting you. Is it your job? Is it you're working too much? Is it that God didn't overbless you with prosperity and now your money has become your God and you serving money and say serving mammal or the material things in life? Whatever it is, whatever the problem in the church, usually idolatry is, is at the base of it. Idolatry. Is that the base of it? And we're talking about modern day church because the preachers are not preaching what is idolatry. Anything that you love more than God or anything you love to the point that you have addiction to, that's your idol. In other words, idolatry set at the foundation and was ultimately the cause of all of the Corinthians' problems, the divisions they they in that had preferences to preachers. They didn't understand about uh, this man that was committing adultery. I mean, yeah, committing adultery with his wife, with his father's wife, or whatever. They write at the church at Tyre, Tyre. This is the church of Revelation that Jezebel, that spirit of seduction, uh, uh, seducing spirits, and that's what the latter day thing is. Most of the churches are led by women. Uh, women have a greater influence on the churches. God had warned Jezebel. Jezebel knew this, but Jezebel was the high priestess. Her father was the priest of Tyre. But he says... But I have this charge against you that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess claiming to be inspired and she teaches and misleads my bond servant so that they commit acts of sexual immorality and eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent to change her inner self and her inner her sinful way of thinking but she has no desire to repent of her immorality and refuses to do so. So what we see is that he's not talking about uh, a thing of, uh, of food that's of the unclean nature and the laws of unclean and everything. We know that food doesn't commend you to God, so it had to have a larger context in this. And that's what I tell people about fellowship, shipping, and eating, and communing with everyone. We have to be careful with all of those things. This spirit of Jezebel, it, it, it says Jezebel, and it takes you back to, prophet, to prophetess that swayed Ahab in the Old Testament. And if we have any basis, that's why we have to have a balance of the New Testament Old Testament. We found out that Ahab was the king of Israel but he allowed his wife to do his bidding for him. And I think that's one of the things we have today. Too many men are not in charge of their own homes or whatever. They don't know what's going on in their own homes during the time of Jer when Jeremiah was speaking and the women were saying that we're cooking cakes to the queen of heaven. and doing, He said, didn't our husbands know we were doing these things? It didn't say anything. They chopped the wood. They provided it. So are you providing for your family to do things that's contrary to God? God's going to hold you accountable. When he came back in the Garden of Eden, he didn't say, well, Eve, why did you... No, he said, Adam, where are thou? 
because you've listened. In other words, the person that has that authority that he left in charge, if you don't know what's going on in your home, that's why I say the elders and the pastors, they need to know what's going on in the church. Jeff Sessions, his church had come up against him for some of the things that he was doing in the Trump administration because it reflected bad upon the church. See, because a lot of times the members, those portions of the members are not fully committed, are not following the teachings because the preacher does that teaching. And he has elders and teachers in there. So you have to be careful of the doctrine. A. You have to be careful of the doctrine that you teach it. And if you have, if you're not, you have to be aware of renegade church people. We have to, that's why your responsibility is to forsake not the assembling together of yourselves because you're responsible for what you hear. You're responsible for what people are teaching you. So that's why when the people were hearing during those days and we have a more sure word of prophecy because sometimes you don't, according to that person that's repeating it or telling it you what the preacher said or what was said, you might not go for what that person said because they're not too good at repeating things. They don't have a good understanding. Do you? You might listen to them, but you might have to go parse out what they say or go find out or something. You're not going to stake your life on something that you don't know actuality to be the truth, I don't think. If you do, you're not very wise. So that's why you need to not forsake the assembling together. You need to hear the word of God, what was said and what was done. That's why I was telling you, I can hear news snippets and things in the news and hear what people are saying. But so in all actuality of condemning that pastor, condemning someone else. No, this is your member that's saying this. This is someone else. So that's what I was telling you about Jeff Sessions and what his church told him or whatever. Because... We have to use everything. God had put us here and things happen so that we can see and judge for ourselves because earlier I said we shouldn't judge, but it's natural in man and it's spiritual in man that he that is spiritual judging all things. You have to see what your eyes seeing and what you hear. But you have the spirit that testifies and that speaks to your spirit in these things so you get the proper discernment from it. Because like I said, this nation is steeped in spiritual adultery and spiritual fornication, but it's just coming out now because physically this nation has done that for years and everything. So these idiots that's running around here think reversing road versus wave is going to change the situation. That doesn't change the situation like they say. That probably is going to make it harder on some of the men because now that the women don't have these babies, the courts could prosecute you to take care of these babies that's not getting aborted. How about these people that are having these babies? The problem is not the abortion. The problem is having babies out of wedlock. The problem is having casual sex. The problem is the spirit of Jezebel that's teaching your children. It says she calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and misleads my bondservant so that they commit acts of sexual immorality. That was the problem, the partying and the feasting, all of these lascivious activities, the way they're dressing, all of these things that's not being preached or taught. You can reverse all the Roe versus Wade you want to. That doesn't change anything. Didn't God have it in the Ten Commandments? Thou shall not kill, but man still kills and he murders and he running through the stores and everything killing. So it's weak through the law. You can't enforce that law. It's a, it, it was weak through the flesh. That's why he said his people, he was going to write it in their hearts. So as I was telling one of my nephews the other day, what, that, what effect Roe versus Wade has on any of us? I don't have kids that would do that. I don't, I don't have anything. I don't have a dog in that fight. See, it says don't get entangled in this world's affairs. But you have these people going, blowing up abortion clinics, getting into big arguments over that. But you may be oppressing the poor. You may be oppressing someone that you shouldn't have. 
and all of these things, if you think that you're serving God, but actually what you're doing, you're committing grave injustices, trying to show yourself as a servant of God. That's why I say we need to let the Spirit do the work. The prudent sometimes sits back in being led by the Spirit of God. So we don't get entangled in this world's affairs. So how can the church run the world or run the government if the Scripture says don't get entangled in this world's affairs? It's a contradiction, wouldn't it be? The world's corrupt, godless society influences God's people beyond our realization and spiritual fornication and idol worship in particular have long been the bane of both physical and spiritual Israel and it's the same with the church today. That's the same with the church today. Now when they got ready to return to Babylon's, when Judah's exile ended after the 70 years, only a remnant of the people, which was 42,360 returned to to Jerusalem, and you could read that in Ezra, second chapter, and sixty-fourth verse. And the king had to make most of them go back. That he made go back. The vast majority chose to remain in pagan Babylon, and that's what the people do today. They choose to remain in the Babylon of this world. We're living in Babylon, my people. We're living in Babylon. He's telling us to come out of Babylon. How many of us today put the things of the world ahead of God? Now, like I said, people could say what they want. And I don't pay attention a lot of times to what people are saying or doing. I have to judge it. I have to consider it. We consider all things. He that is spiritual judging all things. But it is God that's laying down the hammer. So when these things happening, we know they're happening for a reason and a purpose. That the spirit is working. He's creating man in his spiritual image and likeness. And these people that are working in the physical, they're minions of Satan. It says, whom Satan ministers have been transformed into angels of light. So a lot of people following the wrong people. They're following the other Jesus. They're being deceived. They're being led away by false doctrine. The Bible suggests that only a small faithful remnant will pay the price to return to God with their whole hearts and come out of Babylon. That's Isaiah 1 and 9. Only a small remnant will come out of the world. So when you think of all these people in the world, nah, and God's working, he's doing something. Idolatry as adultery. Now, adultery and fornication are two different Guises, but fornication can be adultery. But adultery was that Israel was married to God. But God gave Israel a bill of divorcement. But Judah, God didn't give Judah a bill of divorcement, but Judah's God died on the cross. That's when Jesus Christ died, that made him free to marry another. So what he did, he took a Gentile bride. Joseph was a type of this. Joseph had a Gentile bride. You remember Pharaoh gave him Aspenat, a Gentile bride. He was always, this was always projected in the Old Testament and wasn't taught. You know, a lot of people don't understand, especially the older people or whatever. But Christ come back and chose a Gentile bride. In other words, he made salvation open to all people. But if he'd have still been married and alive to Judah, when they rejected him, the rejection of God, and they chose Caesar. So mankind has always rejected God. But now God was free to take a Gentile bride. Thus comes the New Testament in his blood. This is the New Testament. This is the new covenant to where the people that he choose now, he's going to give them a circumcision of the heart. Now, as we know about Sabbath and Sabbath breaking, and that's what I was trying to tell her about the 
preach, I told him, watch him, he's a sly fox. Now, he's a sly fox. A lot of them that preach on the Sabbath don't tell you about, well, hold on, now the Sabbath was some 400, 500 years after Abraham. Because didn't all the Sabbath was in creation, the fourth day when he rested? That was the Sabbath. He, he worked six days. I mean, he worked, I mean, the fourth commandment. I'm sorry. I, don't listen to that. The fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath. I was thinking about Egypt and them because what happened when he gave the Ten Commandments after they left Egypt, he didn't re give or redo the Ten Commandments. The fourth commandment doesn't say, Thou shall do this or that. They already had that. Because the Sabbath was from creation in the beginning. So it wasn't a Jewish day. So when people talk about Sabbath days and days, this wasn't a Jewish day. This is a day God's create in his creation. He created the Sabbath and he set it apart as a identifying sign between God and his people, which was a perpetual sign that I'm the God of creation. That stood for that he's the God of creation. He's the God of all earth and that he's the one making man and his. It has nothing to do with the Jews. Abraham, which was some hundreds of years later, years and years later, before Abraham, Abraham observed tithes and offerings. But Egypt, some 400, and he said that your children was going to be in Egypt. It wasn't time to inherit the promised land that they would come back. So that they went to the promised land. Abraham died. He was buried in that tomb that he bought from the Hittite or whatever. But he said that they was going to come back when Israel was old. You remember Israel was old and he told Joseph to bury his bones, to bring him back. When he died, he was brought back and buried in Abraham's tomb where Abraham and Sarah was buried. And Joseph said, well, when I die, y'all didn't bomb me, but when I die, y'all bring my bones back to, to, to this grave, to that cave. So the Sabbath, which came while they were in Egypt, and Moses fled, and it was some 80 years or so because, remember, Moses was 40, and then he did 40 years on the backside of the desert before he came and gave the Ten Commandments, right? So how could it be a Jewish day or a Jewish holiday or some Jewish Sabbath or whatever? And when he was giving the Ten Commandments to Moses, he didn't say this is a new commandment. He says the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath. That was an identifying sign. Nowadays, people trying to get you to think that this some Jewish day or whatever. The day of worship, you can worship on any day you want to worship. God said those that worship him, worship him in spirit and truth. So whether you worship on a Sunday, Saturday, people have Thursday night service, they have Wednesday night service, they have Wednesday day service, they have service. When it, he didn't say that worship is worship. He, if you look at the Sabbath, there's no specifications of when you should worship or what you should do on the Sabbath. That's what the Jews did. They made it binding in a way, and that's what today's preachers do. They try to make it look like if you observe the Sabbath that you causing a bind or you binding the people or something like that. Yo, you observe the Sabbath, huh? so you can't do this and do that on the Sabbath. Okay, so you don't observe the Sabbath? Oh no, Sunday's the Lord's day. Well, what's the difference between the Lord's day and the Sabbath? Because I don't see anything in the Bible where it says to tell you what to do on the Lord's day and all these other things that you say. Is that your day? So you disrespect that day. You can do anything you want on that day. Just since you go to church one time that day, you can go play football. You can go do anything that you want to do. Just since you think it's, say it's the Lord's day, that's man's philosophy. That's all we know. Jesus rose on the first day of the week. Look in the book of John. The 20th chapter says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and the stone already removed from the, from the grove across the entrance of the tomb. But does it say he, re he risen that day and you should make that the Lord's day and that's the day of worship? Or is that man's philosophy? Do man sit down and say, okay, 
Look, we ain't got it in the Bible, but we're going to tell y'all that you should make this the day that you worship. God changed it. Okay, he changed it, but he didn't write it nowhere else throughout the whole Bible. We got 66 books. Huh? We got this whole Bible where he's defining the Sabbath, but he writes it and don't, he tells us, and this is a commandment, and he don't make it no more specific or tell us what to do, and he's causing confusion here. This is a confusion to the people that don't know God. That's because Satan had blinded their mind. It's not a confusion to God's people. Is it grievous for you to believe in the Sabbath? It's not grievous to me. The apostles say his commandments are not grievous to us. I want to follow this. I want to do this. This is what I want to do. So you think it's grievous for you to do it on that day. But any other day, it's fine. No, he made up. I can only see one thing in his Bible where he made these six days the same. But this one day he sanctified, he made it holy. And that's the one I'm looking at. That's the day he said was different. The Sabbath is perpetual. Now, in the Christian era, the Sabbath has been a point of controversy since at least, now this started at the 4th century. This wasn't a controversy during the time the original apostles was alive. Now, the adulterous affair, I, I didn't finish that, but it was that they had despised and scorned. It was Ezekiel, I told you, 20. Two and eight, where it says, Thou hast despised my holy things and hast profaned my Sabbaths. You have despised and scorned my sacred things and have profaned my Sabbath, says the Amplified. Uh, the Living says, The things of God are all despised by Sabbaths are ignored. I put that on there because you are ignoring his Sabbath. The Sabbath is our day now. We've made that Saturday. You can do anything. That's the day you play football and that's your day. So we overlooking what God said that that seventh day was, right? Since we look and say you rise from the, risen from the grave, even though you didn't write it down or tell us, this is going to be the day we do it. So what you did back there in creation, even though you say you're a God that changes not, we will change that. That's our man. He makes God in his image and his likeness. Idolatry and Sabbath breaking are accusations directed squarely at leaders, specifically at the ministry, for poor leadership and failing to live and teach things of God. Because if this woman, this bird brain, end up fostering this doctrine to the nation and the church lead the nation, what do that lead to? They make insanity that they are worshiping. Because it had some woman in Arizona advocate, advocating that, that they should make it a law. You remember back when they had the blue laws and the other laws? Did it really change much or was the nation? It's just that you didn't see it because it wasn't all the media and all of the coverage it is now. But it's man that developed the 24-hour day that makes you work day and night. It's man that wakes, developed the seven-day work week the overtime in all this. If you want to get back to things, think of the days when just your father could work and support a family. And he didn't have to work all these days. But this is what man does to you. Uh, as I was saying, in, in the Sabbath has been a point of controversy since at least the 4th century A.D. when the Roman Catholic Church assumed the authority to change the day of worship from the seventh day to the first day. The Roman Catholic Church did that. Augustine did it, and they said it was a very, I think it was Constantine Augustine. They said it was a very smart move. The Roman Church, the Roman government did these things. In the years that followed, thousands of seven-day Sabbath keepers were imprisoned or killed for obeying the fourth commandment. That was the true persecution of the church. And they, they decided to change because they couldn't go against the military might, the power of the church. The Roman Catholic Church had the power of the sword. When the Protestant Reformation took place centuries later, those opposed to the abuses and the venality of the Catholic Church broke away an attempt to set things straight because a lot of the things that the Catholic Church doing 
that's why it's bad to join a group to try to accomplish an overthrow because sooner or later down the road, y'all could divide on things that y'all ain't together on. Don't ever team up with somebody to beat somebody else, make somebody else your common enemy because that very person that you went in with, y'all could be at each other's strokes further down the road. However, they continue to teach a number of corrupted doctrines, including the change of the Sabbath. And that's why I was entitled that making a day of Sabbath doctrines into graven images of idols. That's why Paul said he was afraid of the people because they worshiped days and times and all of these things. and made birthdays and resurrections because a birthday is a self-centered day. It's all about me on that day. For that day, I'm the king. It's all about me. I've never told anyone. I've never talked about my birthday. You don't hear birthdays in the Bible. The only time you hear birthdays in the Bible is something bad happened on that day. Notice the time that they mentioned somebody's birthday. Something bad happened at that time when they give you a birthday. That's when Isaac was born. Uh, the other, yeah, Isaac was, and they, she saw Hagar, saw Ishmael making fun of, of sporting at Isaac at that time. But I didn't look it all up. But birthdays, you you don't find the Bible high on birthdays because. That's another teaching I have some other time. I want to say I have deep, deeper doctrines in it. Like I don't want to say that, but as you grow in the Lord, you'll understand why when we introduce things that we do by man philosophies, we are really messing with something else that God has that we don't know or understand. So we shouldn't create, we shouldn't add unto God's word, take away. I just celebrate God's word the way it is and the way I understand that he gives it to me. Today, the vast majority of professing Christians hold the first day as the proper day of worship, even though the Bible is clear and consistent that only the seventh day was blessed, sanctified, and made holy. That's in Genesis 2, 3, and Exodus 20, 11. If you find in there where he sanctified another day, where he sanctified set the first day of the week apart to be holy, well, we need to see you didn't made a new Bible or something. It's not in there. Only one day that you can see that he sanctified, made holy. Now does this tradition have merit? Uh, it is certainly a widespread assumption upon one that seems plausible on the surface and to which we give, we, which few give a second thought. Even so, there's no biblical record, implications, or hint of God removing the sanctification and holiness given to the seventh day and transferring it to another day. Wouldn't at one point in time just give us two, uh, one or two scriptures saying, okay, the Sabbath day is no longer holy, the first day of the week is holy. Wouldn't he some way or another tell at least an apostle or somebody this? If he's going to make that radical a change, look like he said something about it. Inherit within the assertion that the Sabbath has changed is the idea that the creator himself is changeable, that his standard of righteousness changes over time, and he's not serious about what he says. You know, who said that? Didn't kind of Satan start that? Isn't this what it's all about? It's about the word that God didn't mean what he said, that God does change. Isn't that kind of satanic doctrine? So, listen at this. If, if that's so, that God changes, James says one seventeen reminds us that with God, there's no variation of shadow of turning. So God doesn't change what he said then, he says now. If homosexuality was an abomination then, it's an abomination now. If murder was wrong then, it's wrong now. Right? Adultery, any of these other things, false prophets, false, anything that God's word says previously, unless God tells us or shows us otherwise, that shadow becomes the reality. The Old Testament was a shadow of the New Testament. He does not change his fundamental character and approach to things are constant. 
Because if we change, serve a changing God, we got problems. If we, right? We got a problem if he's subject to change. Hebrews 13 and 8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the next verse says, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. So don't let nobody pull you away and create idols, images, and other days, and special days, and other days. Stick with to the trunk of the tree. Don't get out on the fringe ends or whatever. God doesn't change. God's changelessness is a major defense we have against false teaching. If Benny Hinn or anybody else come and say they've seen Jesus here and Jesus appeared to them, how many preachers have you heard on the TV that say Jesus appeared to them? Good bit of them, eh? Jesus says, if a man says he see me, don't believe it. But he did appear to Paul and he tells us that in the Bible. But he doesn't tell us that he appears to anyone else. He said, if they say he's in the desert, go not over there. If he say he don't believe him, he doesn't change. That's what the whole word is based on. That's what his promise is based on. That he, his promise is not going to be changed. God doesn't change. Thus, any doctrine that involves God backtracking on what he says, such as changing the Sabbath command, should be seen for what it truly is, at an affront to his perfect and constant nature. God's not, if he knows the beginning to, from the end, wouldn't he have started with the truth? He wouldn't have said, okay, I, 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 since y'all right on that, he resurrected on the first day, so I, I should change this day. No, 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 no. The Sabbath is neither a minor detail nor an obsolete ritual. It was the capstone of creation week and it is it and is a creation of its own. Genesis 2, 1, 2, 3. He, that's a separate creation. He made man, he created six days of the week. He rested, he created the Sabbath and he rested. Humanity created in six days. Then the physical creation is complete, yet there's a spiritual creation still taking place. Jesus said that the spirit do it yet work. God is creating mankind in his spiritual image, and he has set apart a sanctified the seventh day of each week to allow us to further this creation through fellowship with him without being distracted by ordinary labors and pursuits. This does not mean that we cannot fellowship with him at other times. We can and we should as fellowship. When the church set aside worship or teaching times and meeting times and fellowship times, we should go to those. As a corporate body, the church make those determinations. But we can't change something God had made. But in setting aside the seventh day and making it holy, he has ensured that there will always be a space of time, a, recur a recurring memorial to return our focus to the spiritual work God is doing. That's why he told Israel when they came out of Egypt to remember the Sabbath because they forgot it because the Egyptian was making them work all the time. It wasn't a distinguishing, a distinguishing factor because they didn't worship the God of creation. All these other gods. That's why the the ten plagues. That's why the plagues of Israel. That God was showing He was the God of creation because they worship frogs, dust, mites, snakes. The creation. They worship the Nile River. They worship cats and all these other things. The high regard that God gives to the seventh the seventh day Sabbath is evident throughout Scripture. God began teaching Israel about the Sabbath even before he gave the Ten Commandments that I talked about earlier in Exodus 16th chapter, 14th through the 30th verse, the 20th chapter, 8th through the 11th verse. He used the repetition of giving manna to the people. For 40 years, Israel had a weekly lesson on which day God set apart because no manna failed for them to gather on the seventh day. 
God had provided twice the amount the day before that. So I don't know about this changing that people insisted on saying that he changed this. Not only was the Sabbath command in place before the old covenant was made, but God even made an additional perpetual covenant just for the Sabbath. And you can read that in Exodus, the 31st chapter, the 12th through the 17th verse. The old covenant, that te- the temporary agreement between God and Israel, and you remember I said it was temporary because he gave Israel a bill of divorcement and their God died on the cross which made him able to marry or take a Gentile bride. And he took the whole world, Israel included. All men were free to come to God at that time. He would have been adulterous if he was married to a particular nation. That temporary agreement between God and Israel was made obsolete with the coming of the new covenant. But the Sabbath exists outside of that agreement that new covenant the Sabbath was made in creation it wasn't part of the new covenant you remember he says a new covenant I'll make with you that was Jeremiah the 31st chapter the 31st through the 34th but that new covenant creation of the Sabbath wasn't a part of that so I don't know how the New Testament starts to change it with the resurrection and these other things in addition God says uh God's promise at the core of the New Testament, I will put my laws in their heart and write them on their I write I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. That's why I say he gives us a new heart, a new way, and a new thinking. Hebrews 18, 10, 16. While an agreement may be temporary, God is intent on writing his laws permanently on our heart, and the Sabbath is one of the most important. Though that Sabbath creation, that Sabbath, because that's why it says there's another, there is a rest for the people of God. I'm going to go over a few minutes on this to give y'all the rest of this on this Sabbath because I'm not coming back to this part of the teaching pretty soon. It says, time and again, ancient Israel was subjugated because of Sabbath breaking and idolatry. For example, Ezekiel 20th. In fact, the prophecies specifically show that the Sabbath will be kept after Christ returns and is established as his kingdom. You can see where he keeps the Sabbath. Jesus kept the Sabbath. He'll keep the Sabbath after he returns and establishes his kingdom. Isaiah 66, chapter 22nd to the 23rd verse. Ezekiel, the 44th chapter, the 24th verse. Ezekiel the 45th chapter in the 17th verse. Ezekiel the 46th chapter in the 3rd verse. The gospel writers also give, do not give any hint or suggestion that God's sanctification of the Sabbath would somehow be switched into the first day of the week. Jesus leaves no impression that the day of worship could change upon his death. Though he and the Pharisees were frequently at odds over the Sabbath, it is clear the controversy was always over how the Sabbath should be kept, never if or when the Sabbath was kept. So he wasn't saying that there wasn't a Sabbath. He observed the Sabbath, but the argument over was people telling you what you can do on the Sabbath. And that's how the preachers did things form the Sabbath now is that that's some old part of the law that's been thrown away and thrown out and that, that we worship on the day of the Lord or whatever and every day is the Lord's day every day is the Lord's day every day is the Lord's day uh, Jesus teachings about the Sabbath are just as applicable for to follow us today as the Beatitudes and the parables. That's Matthew 12, 1 through 12, Matthew 24 through 20, Mark, 2nd chapter, 23 through 28. Uh, the rest of this is in your notes. But he taught the liberating intent of the Sabbath, not the abolishment of it, because Pharisaic tradition has turned the Sabbath into a burden rather than the delight. 
that God intended it to be. The Sabbath, you should delight yourself in the Sabbath. Isaiah 58, chapter 13 through the 14th verse. Not only did Jesus keep the Sabbath and teach others on it, March 1st to 21st chapter, Mark 1st chapter, 21st verse, 6th chapter, 2nd verse, Luke 4th chapter, and the 16th verse. But after his death, the apostles and even Gentile believers also kept the Sabbath. That's Acts 13th chapter, 14th through the 15th verse, 42nd through the 44th verse, the 15th chapter, 1st through the 2nd verse, 14th through the 21st verse, 16th chapter, 12th through the 15th verse, chapter 17 and 2, chapter 18, 1 through 11. Thus from creation through the millennia and including Christ's ministry and the new covenant church, we see God's establishment and steadfast reinforcement of the seventh day Sabbath. So on top of this, there's no scriptural intimidation that the day of Christ's death, the resurrection and ascension, or any other activity would modify the blessedness, the sanctification, and holiness that he had already presented on the Sabbath day. So those graven images and idols that they make, be careful what you're doing. Learn God's word and you'll be walk around and you'll follow Romans to, I think it's the fourth chapter, the third chapter. It's by faith we have established the law. By faith we have established the law because those same laws will judge the people. They will judge the world. And we follow Christ and he'll establish those things.